0: One of the things that we've done in the last few months is just really define as a Southbrooker, you come to campus to come to church. That may be on Sunday, it may be during the week uh, with certain men's and women's gatherings, support group gatherings, et cetera. But in City Lights is where we go out into our city and be the church in creating a network of connection, care, and community. We've divided our church into four regions because we're a regional church. And today, I'm going to be at the kiosk after this hour of the south region, and it's right out there by the map. The other three kiosks are spread out throughout the atrium. I'm going to be out there, and we're going to highlight the south region. That's our largest region, if you can imagine. It includes Centerville and Lebanon and Springboro and... uh, Oh, I don't know what else I'm forgetting, but there are a lot of people in the South region. And today, I'm so excited because Jake and Kelly Coy are with me up here to represent the South region. Jake and Kelly are community leaders. In other words, they've taken on in their life as a couple, as a married couple, the mission of being an agent of community care and connection. And this is huge because they're doing it as a couple, uh, there's, there's no power on earth like, like a, a couple that it, they're, they're melded together on mission. If you really want to give your marriage fuel, be on a mission greater than fulfillment. It is the mission of Christ. At their wedding almost two years ago, I said the biggest purpose in marriage is not companionship between Jake and Kelly. The biggest purpose in your marriage is you are a miniature church. That's what Ephesians 5 says. And you're to show the world what God's love looks like. And they're doing that. And so they're representing the south region today. They're both... uh In Huddle, they've been through Huddle, which is our leadership development engine. If you're interested in that, you're interested in getting connected, being a part of the community of care, would you come to the South Kiosk today? Or if you're in another part of our city that you want to be invested in, go to one of those kiosks. But what we're going to do every weekend is we're going to pray for that region. So Kelly and Jake are, are representing the South region today. Southbrook, would you bow with me right now as we pray for the South region Father, this is a world, this is a culture, this is a city that needs your love, your reckless love. And I, you know, just having known Jake since he was a little grape in Harvestland, it's so cool to see him up here with Kelly and to see them together. It's just, for me, it is just, it is just awesome. But it's about you, not me. It's about you, not us. As we say, as long as we receive your love and give it away in our city, we're going to be okay. That's, all, that's really all it is. As a church, we're going to be okay. As long as we receive your reckless love, and give it away. And as Kelly and Jake are representing the South today, we pray over them, that you'll prosper them, that you'll protect them, put a hedge of protection around their marriage, around their, their health, around their lives, around their family, their respective families. We pray that you... Uh, use them to bring other people within their sphere of peace and relationship into relationship with you. Just because they live their lives, they just live their life together on adventure, on mission. We pray for the South Region because it is our largest region. We pray for Mindy Fedotowski as she's leading our city pastors and community leaders like Kelly and Jake. We pray that that you use them, that you grow them, and protect them that you bear much fruit. This is to my father's glory that we bear much fruit and we pray that you do that. We thank you for them. We thank you for the South Region and the people who have already stepped up to say, I want to be a part of creating networks of community connection and care all throughout Dayton. And uh, it's a time. This is, it's such a time as this that the Jake and the Kelly Coys step up and say, Here am I. Send me. And everybody who agreed with this prayer, in Jesus' name said, amen let's give it up for jake and kelly thank you you guys thank you so much thank you so much if you want to know more about uh city lights again come to one of the kiosks today Uh, if you live in the south region south for us is from this point downward so south would be centerville and springboro and lebanon and mason actually is included in that and we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's a large populace of people that we're breaking down into smaller communities. And very excited about that. Hey, make sure you know we have integrated our weekend with just about everything we do content-wise through the week. So tomorrow at noon is the second weekend hangover where my son Austin and I are going to be unpacking for about 35 minutes, unpacking this weekend, giving some what, why's, and how's of the weekend. It's live, so get your lunch out, get your, you know, anybody you want to join with you. It's on demand after that, but it's live. We take questions in the moment. But right now, right now, if you hear this message today and you have a question, like I'm going to talk about success. Is it possible that any of you might have a question about that? No, because I'm going to answer all your questions about that today. Uh, it, but it's possible. Hello at southbrook.org. Isn't that easy? Just say it with me. Hello at southbrook.org. You can remember that. Go to that. And uh, you can send your questions. You can also send them to Austin.macmahan at southbrook.org. We also have live interaction on Facebook and YouTube during that live 35 minutes also on Tuesdays, Tuesdays at CESO, which is right now virtual because their office is closed, uh, and two other offices in there, including Bang Salon and Centerville, we have what we call Pizza Paul and Mary. It's just a Bible study for men and women who can get away for an hour, and we are taking this series on Revelation, and this week in those settings, they will unpack Revelation, our teachers will unpack Revelation further. If you today, you said, I want to make sure my resources are counting for the kingdom of every nation, tribe, people, and language on earth, then make sure you get a PushPay app, download that onto your phone. If you are not a part of that, there's actually a box out there that says generosity, and you can contribute with real money. We don't take Bitcoin yet. Okay, we're working on that. No, we're not working on that. But but it's crazy right now because, you know, some of you say, hey, I don't want to be passing a bag. We're with you on that. And you can just put it in the box out there in the atrium. I have been studying Revelation, and I figured out when the end of the world will be. And if you tune in next Sunday, I'm going to tell you exactly when that's going to happen. Are you getting used to that joke yet? <laughs> yeah, we're going through Revelation in this walkthrough. And one of the questions is why? And actually, a question somebody asked last week is, in light of everything that's going on, why are we going to, why should I care that we're going through Revelation? What? I know. <laughs> I know. She is locked in, man. <laughs> he, he is locked in. It's a he. Way to go, buddy. What's your name? What is it? Luca. Luca. Let's give it up for Luca because he's He's listening. Look, I'm going to answer all your questions about Revelation right now, okay? Yeah, why, why should we care? And my answer to that this week on Weekend Hangover was, why should you not care in light of everything that's going on? Because the centrality of Christ, as we'll see today, in this narrative that's going on in Rome, does definitely have some relevance to your life and mine right now. How many of you have found the last year to be a little difficult? Raise your hand if you, do. this has been a little hard. Yeah, a little hard. And here's where revelation is, is relevant to you if you want to be an overcomer. Anybody want to be an overcomer? Anyone? Anybody want to not let life beat them, but they beat life? I think all of us are here because that's what we want. That's the point of revelation. Here's how you can be an overcomer. Many of you have seen this formula uh, E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome, right? And this is really the book of Revelation. These events are going to happen to you. These things are going to happen to you that you don't like. It was happening to the people who were receiving this letter 2,000 years ago. And how you respond and the power of Christ is really what determines the outcome. And the constant refrain in Revelation is, if you will be faithful, then he's going to take care of you. Your job is to just be faithful, not flashy. And last week, I began our process of not just giving you fish, but teaching you how to fish by telling you that Revelation uses what is called Oriental apocalyptic imagery. Oriental apocalyptic imagery. And that is just simply a fancy way of saying it uses symbolism And if you allow it to say what it means, not say what it says. It does not mean what it says. I'll show you this in a minute. It means what it means. And if you allow it to do that, it's actually very understandable. But if you try to make it mean something that you think it ought to mean, it gets really tricky. Let me show you four categories that John uses in his revelation. One category is objects. He uses objects. So, for example, we looked at this last week. Revelation 116, he's describing the Christ, the Son of Man, his reality, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. Now here's the thing about revelation. If you take parts of it symbolism literally, you have to take all of its symbolism literally, when there are clearly things that are meant to be symbolic. Do you think this is meant to be taken literally, or do you think that it's meant to be taken symbolically? Does Jesus, when you meet him, you're going to recognize him because he has this big sword sticking out of his mouth? I think you would agree with me that it's meant to be taken figuratively. What does it mean? Well, in that day, the person who held the sword held the power. They held the authority. And this is John's way of saying, here's one whose words are authoritative. You ever known someone who, like, that we say, their word carries a lot of weight with me? That means that person has authority with you. Like, you, you trust their power when they speak. And so John's saying here, this is one who holds all the authority. Now, interestingly, we use similar imagery. You can say, oh, my gosh, I don't understand this now because we use similar ir- imagery. How many of you ever used the phrase, he's shooting off his mouth again? Have you ever used that phrase? That's imagery. You don't literally mean his mouth turned into a thirty-eight caliber. You don't literally mean that, right? What does that mean? That he's saying things thoughtlessly, he's speaking in anger, right? How many of you ever use the phrase, he is so sharp tongued? Do you literally mean that his tongue is as sharp as uh, as a well maintained knife? No, you don't literally mean that. You mean that their words are cutting. And so we use this imagery all the time. John's doing the same thing. He says, when you meet him, you'll recognize him because he uses other imagery like the roar of rushing water to say his words are authoritative. By the way, when you read this, so if this week you say, you know what, I'm going to read Revelation 1.16. Here's the question you want to write down. Take a picture of this and do an analysis of this. Whose words will you allow to carry weight or have power in your life? Because everybody is looking to somebody with a sword in their mouth. Every person in this room, if you're here today, you're listening to this, and you're an atheist, then, then someone has their sword that you, that you listen to. Someone has been authoritative. Now, you can get to the point where you're your own sword, you're your own authority, and that's a dangerous place to be, but who has a sword in his or her mouth to you? That's an object that's, an object that's used for symbolism. Here's a second one. Second one is Numbers. This is probably the category of symbolism that is most famous in Revelation. If I showed you these three numbers, how many, what book of the Bible would you think of? You would think of Revelation, wouldn't you? 7, 12, and 666. To the original readers, which is really important to understand the Bible, to understand it properly, you have to understand what would the original readers have understood. And when the original readers of Scripture would have seen these numbers, they would have understood some very clear things. Number, first letter is seven. Seven was the number of completion or perfection or whole. Why? Because there are seven days in a week. When the, when the seventh day ends, the week is complete. It is whole. So this imagery is all used, always used in Revelation and factors of seven to denote wholeness, perfection, completion. Look at these words. We looked at these last week. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. From him who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne. That is simply mean the whole of the spirit. I believe, as many biblical scholars do, that's the Holy Spirit, the perfect spirit of God. The original readers would have read seven spirits, that's all spirit. All spirit, Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. When, when they would have seen the number seven, they would have been whole, complete. I think actually what you're seeing right there is the Father, he who was and is and is to come, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. You're seeing, I saw God on the throne. Look at the word, or look at the number 12, the number 12. The number 12 is, is symbolic of the fact that in Israel, in Israel, the the there were 12 tribes. In the church, there were 12 apostles. So anytime these readers would have seen the word 12 or the number 12, they would have thought of the people of God. Every time you see 12, so when you see 144,000, it doesn't literally mean there are only 144,000 who are making the cut. I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble if that's the case. Anybody else in trouble if there are only 144,000 out of the billions who have lived on earth? That doesn't mean that. It means that it's the same thing in Revelation 7 9 says this that a number no one can count, a number no one can count a factor of 12 who are the people of God. Now, here's what's interesting about that is the number 666 is the antithesis of 7 and 12. Whenever you see the factor of 6, 6 was the number of incompletion. It was the number of distortion. It was the number of evil. And so what do you think it means to the original here when this, word, this letter 6 is written down and it's six? 666, what do you think that means? Really evil. The people of God, the 12, the 144,000 of the people who do what God wants, the 666 people, they are opposed to the things of God. The 666 people are opposed to the things of God. and And the imagery that's often associated with 666 is the mark of the beast. And this is where it gets interesting. Luca, you want to pay attention. He's already asleep. See, he's already, he's, I've already put him to sleep. Really interesting. As you'll see in a minute, the book of Revelation is full of Hebrew imagery. And the mark of the beast goes right back to, to Exodus 13, 9. Every time John pulls an image, he's pulling something from the Old Testament, and nearly without fail, especially Daniel and Ezekiel, but not limited to them. He also pulls from Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And in Exodus 13, the writer is talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where Israel would come together and they would celebrate the goodness of God, and they would basically sign up to stay committed to Him. Like they would say, you have been so good to us, God, we're going to have this feast, we're going to party hardy, marty and we're going to honor you, and we're going to say we are yours, you, are, you have marked us in our souls. And in Exodus 13, 9, it says the feast of unleavened bread shall serve as a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead. Where is the mark of the beast? It is on the hand and on the forehead. When the original reader of the mark of the beast would have seen that, they would have thought of Exodus. A mark on your hand and your forehead so that the teaching of the Lord may be on your lips. For with you a strong hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. True interesting thing. The mark of the beast is the mark as is is the the hand is the actions. You know what you do with your hands is how you act. The mark of your forehead is your attitude, your mind. I am marked with the mind of Christ, hopefully. And anything that is not marked with the mind of Christ, but opposes the thoughts of Christ. Anything that does stuff that is antithetical to Christ is the mark of the beast. You could be in church and you have the mark of the beast. Because you still don't have a heart and a mind that is. That is after God. He's like, I want God, and you, I mean, literally. Has has when we think of Martin Luther King Weekend, has the church buildings have the church buildings ever been full of people who outwardly sang praise to God but inwardly were extremely racist? That's the mark of the beast. The the mark of the blood of the lamb is not on their heart and soul and mind. It's not in their actions. It's so sad on this weekend where we have to say the church has been represented by people who are extremely mark of the beast. They're extremely 666. Jesus predicted this would happen. People will infiltrate your movements and they will be wolves dressed as sheep. That's the mark of the beast. Now the reason I say that is because The mark of the beast gets the, and the 666 gets the attention of all kinds of conspiracy theories, doesn't it? The latest one is the vaccine. Don't get the vaccine. It's the mark of the beast. And John did not think about vaccines when he wrote this, trust me. He did not think about that. I remember, and some of you remember, a very well-known Christian writer sold a lot of books because he convinced people that 666 meant visa. I kid you not, V-I, the Roman numeral for six, and S was is the Greek sixth letter of the alphabet. He said sigma, and A was the Babylonian uh, letter for the number six. And so you see, when you put those all together, Roman, Greek, and, and Babylonian, it's visa. So your visa card is the mark of the beast. And for those of you who need to stop spending as much, go ahead and let it be the mark of the beast, okay? Just get rid of that thing. But here's the problem with that, or a number of problems with that. One is is uh, his whole idea that sigma was the sixth letter of the alphabet was wrong in and of itself. Sigma is the 18th letter of the Greek alphabet, so that was wrong right there. But you, We love fantastical ideas, don't we? We love to think that the, the Visa card, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is when you have things on your hands, your actions, and you have things on your mind, your ways of thinking are not in alignment with Christ. I don't want to scare you that you are branded. But what I am saying is this, as it was in Exodus thirteen nine, is a call to say, God, your reckless love has gotten through to me. And now I think through the reckless love of Christ. I live through the reckless love of Christ. Amen? That's what it means, friends. And to be of the Christ is to not be 666. It is to not be 666. It is to be seven. It is to be made whole. And this comes totally from the fact, look at this. You have to know Hebrew scriptures to understand the book of Revelation. Look at this. There are 404 verses in Revelation, 500 plus references to Hebrew scripture imagery, and every single one of the images used here, including the numbers References back to what they would have understood in the first century here's another category of imagery is events events John uses events that are taking place back in his day the events that primarily were taking place is Roman imperialism, the cult of the emperors. the power in the world was was using Christians for their play, torturing Christians and so you can imagine. How much they were like, we're not sure if we got the message right from Jesus that we're doing it the way we should be doing it. And much of revelation to say, I know this is happening to you, these events are taking place, but God is in charge. One of the images that John uses is from uh, uh, Psalm 46 the nations are in an uproar, the kingdoms totter, God utters his voice, and the earth melts. The reason I bring that up is a number of people have told me that they last week, after the events in the Capitol, and the things that have been taking place the last few months, in particular, have turned to Psalm 46 because it's this idea that the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. The whole world is in an uproar. Earthquakes. And, and, you know, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And John, or the psalmist gives this imagery of however God utters his voice and the earth melts. Again, that's imagery. He uses it again in Revelation. Imagery to say God is in charge. God's not wringing his hands. All these events are taking place. God is in charge. He doesn't mean literally when God speaks, the earth liquefies. He doesn't mean that. What he means is, is yeah, I know, things are crazy right now. God's still in charge. He's still in charge. He is still in charge. Look at this other imagery that's used is creatures, beasts. And this is some of the most fun parts of, of Revelation because you'll see imagery where the angels are described as being covered in eyeballs. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not exactly touched by an angel type, uh, you know, imagery of a redheaded beauty, okay? That's not exactly it. It just simply, when you see covered in eyeballs, it means they see, they see. They represent the seeing of God. He sees you. And it's really cool because uh, on the one hand, this is amazing as you put together this impressionist painting John gives of these creatures, but on the other hand, we really drain it of its power when we make it literal. When we make it literal, this is what angels look like. And I want to tell you again today, we use creature imagery to represent in our culture. If I say to you, elephant and donkey, what do you think of? Republican and Democrat. And if you see a cartoon where one is happy and the other is sad, what do you say happened in the election? i us just not go there. Let's just not even talk about that, right? Yeah, you, you immediately go to, that's an imagery. If some person were to come from another country who doesn't know our imagery, they would look at that and go, why are they so hung up on elephants and donkeys? Why are they so hung up on this? They wouldn't understand our imagery and someone would have to explain it to them. And in the same way, John uses imagery that does not mean what it says. It means what it means. When you put the whole imagery of that beast together, you see this composite of evil or power or holiness or worship or whatever it is that John wants to communicate. Here's my point. My point, look at this Revelation 1, 1 and 2. The revelation from... It can also be translated of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And that's really important to understand because this was written in the late part of the first century. What must soon take place is this stuff was going to happen then. So often we take revelation, we try to derive meaning from it as if this hasn't happened yet. A lot of this has happened, will happen, and is happening right now. How many of you would be interested if I said, I have a weather forecast for a year from now? Well, if you trade in certain commodities or something, there might be a vision. Most of you wouldn't be interested in a weather forecast a year from now, would you? If I said to you, I've got a weather forecast 2,000 years from now, how many would you be interested in that? You wouldn't be interested in that at all. The forecast, John says, that I'm giving you is right now. It's relevant, he says to his audience then, right now. And it's relevant to us. He made it known by sending his angel, his messenger, to his servant John who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word for revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, apo, meaning to take away from, and kalipsos, which means veil. I want you to see something. Why is this relevant to your life right now? Because we see Jesus like never before through the revelation. We see Jesus for who he is. John uses the backdrop of objects and numbers and events and creatures, but that's the canvas. The focus of the painting is who or what? Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. This revelation says, You spend your days, look full in his wonderful face, and the things that are happening around you grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know what the last year's events, especially the political events, have told me, I don't belong to the, I don't belong to the party of the donkey or the elephant. I belong to the party of the lamb. That's who I belong to. That's who I'm giving my life for. I'm not giving my life for a donkey or an elephant. I'm giving my life so that people know this lion-lamb combo. And that's why the revelation was written. All the events that are taking place that seem so cataclysmic, and the world is in an uproar. John says to us, if you read this book, you will be blessed because you will come to see Jesus as as you have never seen him before that you've never seen him before. It is so cool. There's nothing like Revelation to prepare your heart for worship, to have moments of transcendence in your own life. Let me show you this right now. This is so relevant right here because of where this book was written. You're about, you're about to see in a few minutes that many of you who are listening or are on through Facebook right now and YouTube and those of you who are watching this live in here, you are going to find out that your your story is a part of Revelation. It's a part of Revelation. Look at what John said, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John says... I was faithful to Jesus, and that made my, like, my batting average went up, and life was great. Is that what it means when you follow Jesus, that everything's going to be great? No. Sometimes following Jesus will land you on Patmos. Let there be no mistake. What was Patmos? Patmos was an island of banishment and punishment used by the Roman Empire, about 10 miles long, 6 miles deep. And here's a picture of it on the map. You can see right here is the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea, right there, just southeast of Asia Minor, just southwest of Greece, or southwest of, of Greece and southeast of Asia Minor. And look what John says. He says, on the island of Patmos, where he'd been banished, he's very, he's very elderly right now, which to be, to be elderly, you have to be at least 60. And he says this. This is so key. Look, look at this. For those of you who don't feel spiritual, like I'm not as spiritual as my husband. I'm not as spiritual as my wife. No, wait a minute. Listen. He says the key. I, on the Lord's Day. What day was that? Sunday. That was, they called the Lord's Day because that was the day he resurrected. I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. Now, for those of you who grew up, those words are spooky to you. I want you to pay attention right now. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Again, that's the same imagery as the sword, authoritative, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That map that you just saw, that would be a circle in Asia Minor that would start from the delivery of that letter on land in Ephesus, the closest, and would go around in a semicircle. He says, send that to the seven churches, which means that it's not just meant for those seven churches. Remember, what does the number seven mean? Whole, complete. It's for all the church. It's for, send this to the church at Southbrook. Send this to the church in Beaver Creek. Send this to the church in Westchester. Send this to, because I'm in the midst of my churches. And look at this, look at this word. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. I always always love that. You guys remember that documentary about ghosts called Ghost, Ghost, Ghostbusters? Remember that? And there's this, there's, this, there's, this, uh, there's this scene in Ghostbusters when Spengler goes, everybody be quiet. Do you smell something? <laughs> I turned around to see the voice. It was, it was funny. That is just funny. I don't know how you don't see the humor in that. Like I see the humor and I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Write, therefore, what you have seen, both what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, I am in charge. I'm in charge. And of the seven golden lampstands is this. So I'm in charge and I'm in the midst of the churches. Remember how the golden lampstands, represented the churches. We are meant to be a city light, right? A city light. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. What is he saying? He's saying, I am here and I care for all of you churches and I am in charge despite the trials. The, the, the stars aren't just going everywhere out of control. The churches aren't going everywhere out of control. I'm in the midst of them. I am. I have control over what's happening. This is really powerful. How many of you in the last year, don't raise your hand. How many of you, for example, have been lonely? How many of you have been listening to me right now? You're in isolation. You're listening. You're watching this by yourself. A lot of people. The big struggle in the last year has been safety from COVID versus isolation. We chose to open because we realized we're an essential business. For a lot of people. It's not because we're flipping about COVID. It's because for many of you, like we're essential. And if you've been in isolation, if you've been lonely, you're, you're going to love Revelation because John says, I was on Patmos. I was banished. You talk about being somewhere he doesn't want to be. Patmos. Maybe you've been in Patmos this year. The country singer Amy Grant had a song years ago, I love a lonely day because it gives me a chance to focus on God. John says, I was in isolation. I didn't want that. But in that isolation, in my solitude, Christ came. Christ came. If you don't, you're going to have periods in your life where you're on Patmos. Your story is in Revelation, or it will be. You're going to have periods where John felt he's abandoned me. I've done something now that's unforgivable, and he's abandoned me. I've let him down. See, they went through all these questions that you and I go through, and yet he says, on a Sunday morning, God spoke to me. He showed me Christ as never before. He took the veil away. There are really four levels of solitude. Uh, Take a picture of this and write these down. They're all four important. There's corporate solitude, which is what you're doing right now. You're with, but you're by yourself, right? So you're here, you're with us. Corporate solitude is really important that you join your solitude with others in worship and learning in the community of Christ. So so we're experiencing a degree of corporate solitude right now. Then there's multitasking solitude. That's another level where you're mowing the grass, you're washing the dishes, you're you're doing something else, you're driving to work, and that's solitude. That's that's actually can be that's a moment of isolation where you're able to focus on God because you're able to, to do it almost mindlessly. The third level is then focused solitude, where you have set aside time to be isolated. And then the fourth level is what John experienced, and that is awe-inspiring solitude, where for an extended period, you, you, you shut inputs off. And you get in a context, a place of isolation, where you can say with Samuel the prophet, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Do you do that? Do you do that? It requires four things. It requires an isolated place, a quiet mind, a passionate heart, and a purified imagination. I would tell you this. How, how many times have I used Revelation 1, Revelation 19, to just get my mind locked into heaven? Images of Christ. And allow, allow Christ to take over the right side of my brain my imaginative side. Faith requires imagination. And I'm telling you, if you will create in your life, I know some of you guys especially don't feel spiritual. Like you just, you, it's like you lack a Wi-Fi signal. You, every, you are not a body that happens to have a spirit. You're a spirit that happens to have a body. You may have been raised in religion and it, and it messed with your Wi-Fi signal but you are a spiritual being. And if you will commit to isolated places as much as you can, if you have young children, it's very difficult to do that. You may have to be selective. Buy a playpen for yourself and lock yourself in there where they can't get to you. If you will learn to quiet your mind and we can show you how to do that and have a passion for Christ through your imagination, he he will speak into your life. You see, the enemy of this is speed. It's skimming. Skimming, speed, just you're going so fast in life, you don't have time for Patmos moments. Skimming leads to scheming, which usually leads to scamming. It usually leads to trying to do things that you can achieve, what you need to achieve with your life, but you're at a spiritual depletion level. And if you will allow God through your life, to create sacred Patmos places, there's nothing There's nothing that'll take the place of that. I cannot, no one can take you to places that you can go by yourself with that. The psalmist said, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. In other words, God is always speaking into us in the midst of the waterfalls of life, the roar of the activity, and if we'll separate ourselves intentionally, he won't have to take us to Patmos because we're already having those moments. Are you doing that? Pascal, the French philosopher, said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. He said that in the 1600s. The great philosopher Snoop Dogg (laughs) said recently in a commercial, forget all the Joneses, we all on our phoneses. It's true, isn't it? More than ever, you got to carve out Patmos if you want to see Jesus. You do it in here. You do it while you're driving. You do it while you're sitting somewhere. But you do it because you really carve out moments where you say, my identity is not in the things that are happening. My identity is is the Lamb of God. That's who I am. Are you doing that? Because if you do that, you'll see that your story is a part of the Revelation story. You'll see it play out as many of us have. Next week, we're going to take a look at Revelation and part three. And we want you to come back and maybe bring a friend or have a friend sit with you. But tomorrow, go to Facebook and look up Weekend Hangover and just send us your questions today, hello at southbrook.org. And we hope we can interact with you to start a conversation so that we can take you further into whenever you find yourself isolated in the things that are happening to you. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, right now, we pray that you would speak into our lives in this corporate solitude. That before we go, we would allow your words to speak into us. Thank you for our gathering today. We pray that you use uh, Players Box this week powerfully to speak into students' lives. We pray that you use the gatherings this week via weekend hangover and Pizza Paul and Mary, and uh, men's and women's ministries that are meeting, and support groups to keep the conversation going that the Christ is among us. He is among the lampstand called Southbrook, and we thank you graciously for that. In Jesus' name we prayed, and everyone said, amen. Have a great week, everybody.